Mission Sunday. Well, obviously, you guys know our tagline at Servants Church is it's all about Jesus. And we don't have that just as a tagline. It's not just like, well, that sounds nice. Doesn't that make us sound so spiritual? It's all about Jesus. But it's actually two things. It's a theological conviction and it's a philosophy of ministry. What I mean by theological conviction is that when it comes to our understanding of God, what He wants for us, what He wants from us, we start and end with Jesus. And so we look at the person of Jesus, we see how He lived, we see what He taught, uh, we see how He predicted His death and resurrection, we see how He died, how He came back to life, how we ascended to heaven, and all that we glean from Him and what He's done, we, we from there, we look upwards and say, okay, that's how we understand God. We know what God is like because we see who Jesus is and what He said. But it's also how we understand man. We know how God views man by what we see Jesus doing and what we hear Jesus teaching. But it's also how we view the past. We look backwards in Scripture, backwards in history, and say, okay, what did Jesus say about these things? It's also how we look towards the future. What do we have a hope towards? What do we expect is going to happen with this planet, with this universe? We look to Jesus to get our convictions. So when we say it's all about Jesus, we mean theologically it's all about Jesus. Using theological terms, you might say that Christology comes before any other theology, that you have to have a right understanding of who Jesus is, why He came, what He wants to do before any other theology will make any sense. And this is why when we teach the Scriptures, we, we do so verse by verse with an emphasis on the person and work of Jesus, wanting to bring back an understanding of who He is. But it's also a philosophical uh, or a philosophy of ministry. It's, it's what determines how we do what we do, not just why we do what we do, but how we do what we do. Uh, we, we see in Jesus' ministry that the Bible speaks of the, the main things that, that, that used, are used to describe Jesus' ministry were things like Jesus healed or Jesus preached the gospel or Jesus taught. But here's a reality. If you were to look up all the kind of derivatives of those words, you would see that, that twice as many times as it talks about preaching and healing or miracles, twice as many times as those things put together, it talks about teaching that a huge portion of Jesus' ministry was teaching, explaining the gospel, explaining who God is, explaining what God desires of us. Jesus had a very, very high view of Scripture, and He showed that by teaching people. So we want to imitate that. We want to be a church that is founded or has a big cornerstone on teaching. But also, we see that Jesus was keen on relationship. What, what did Jesus do for three and a half years? Yes, He preached. Yes, He taught. But he mostly invested in 12 guys, 12 rather different guys, 12 guys that were probably not the, the guys you'd pick to be CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, but 12 guys that he molded, that he used to change the world, to turn the world upside down, as the book of Acts says. And so we want to be about relationship. We want to, like Jesus, invest in people, invest in relationship. Now, what we call this, this idea of of following Jesus as a philosophy of ministry, we call it what He called it, which is discipleship. The Bible says this in Matthew's gospel. Jesus said, Matthew 28, and Jesus came and He spoke to them saying, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things. Notice, I have commanded you, and lo, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So Jesus took these 12 guys, He called them, He taught them how to follow Him, and then He said, I want you to go do the same thing. I want you to go out into the whole world, and I want you to teach other people to follow me like I taught you to follow me. In other words, I want you to be disciples who can make disciples. Be disciples that make disciples. Now, a lot of churches talk about discipleship, and a lot of churches will maybe have like discipleship programs. Hey, come to discipleship this week at this time, or hey, we have a discipleship group coming in. But we as a church have a strong conviction that discipleship is not a program that the church does, but it's a culture the church pursues. It's a culture in which every believer is called to participate. Christianity is not a spectator sport. God calls us to follow Him. Jesus calls us specifically to follow Him and we're all to, meant to be involved in that. And so what we see is, what we have as a desire as a church, our, we feel our mission is to disciple or to uh, equip all believers in four overlapping areas. And I want to be clear that we're talking about overlapping areas. It's not just like do point one, then do point two after that, then point three after that. It's not steps, but areas, overlapping areas. And I want to talk about those quickly. The first one is this, okay? We want to equip people to develop their own intimate relationship with Jesus. Want to be developing your own intimate relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus taught a lot about this kind of thing. Uh, In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is wanting to show how he's calling his disciples to be different than the religious sort of, uh, to have actions that are different than the religious uh, culture of their day. And so he says, in contrast to these religious leaders who would pray in public, who, whose religion was very public but only outward, he said, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. In other words, Jesus calls us beyond just an outward religion or just a, here, here I am, I'm at church, I'm singing the songs, I'm saying the prayers, I'm reading the Bible. But he calls us to have an inward religion, what, what uh, John Wesley called a heart religion, where we want to meet with God personally, we desire to meet with Him personally. This is why we encourage, this is why uh, uh, Clayton was given the exhortations today about, hey, just be open. In other words, this is between you and the Lord. Yeah, when we gather together corporately, there's a horizontal aspect of that. We'll get to it in a second. But there's a reality that we're calling you to have your own relationship with God. This is why we call you to believe in Jesus as individuals. We call you to turn from your sin as individuals because we want you to have a real relationship with God. You as an individual. And the reality is we can't do that for you. We can do it with you, but we can't do it for you. God desires to know you. I mean, Jesus said to his disciples, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Although, although, obviously, in my case, Jesus likes to practice subtraction. (laughs) But still, the point is, he cares for us as individuals. He wants a relationship with us as individuals. He calls us to an individual faith or a personal faith. He wants an intimate relationship with us. The Bible also says this in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do you see the kind of combination here? Hey, you work out, not work for, not work up, work out, exercise you might say, utilize 
the salvation that God gives you in Christ, he says with fear and trembling. In other words, you have to deal with things. I mean, a lot of times what happens with me in pastoral ministry is people will come to me and they'll be afraid they're not really Christians. I'm not sure if I'm really saved. And, and, and it's interesting because I've been asked several times as a Christian, what do you say to somebody when they come to you and think, I don't really know if I'm saved? And I say point blank, it depends on the person. It really depends on the individual. Because here's the thing, I can know for sure that God has saved me. I know God has given me new life in Christ. I see evidence of God's grace if, in, in, all, in almost all your lives. I mean, the fact that you're here is part of evidence of God's grace. But I, those of you I know well, I see evidence of God's grace. But I don't know for sure that God has saved you. You, though, need to be sure. You need to wrestle with that. And so we want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you. We want to just say to you, oh, yeah, you, you raised your hand. You're saved. You said a prayer. You're saved. You're right with God. It's fine. It's sorted. We don't want to do that. We want to help you work out your salvation for, uh, with fear and trembling. This is why. Because it's God who works in you both to will, that is to want something, and to do for His good pleasure. It's God who works in your heart to give you a desire to seek after Him. And so we just want to be conduits for that. We just want to help that happen. But also listen to this, John 21. You could probably relate to Peter here. This is Peter after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's having breakfast on the beach with his disciples. And he tells Peter, he's restored Peter and then told Peter, hey, you're going to die in a pretty horrible way. And Peter's not too happy about this, <laughs> understandably. And so Peter says, he, 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 you know, Peter seeing John says to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? How come I got to die horrible? How come he doesn't have to die horrible? What does Jesus say? Jesus said to Peter, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now, this is important because so often we can think, oh, you know, the reason I'm not really walking with God anymore, I've kind of lost my faith because so many other Christians are hypocrites. What's that got to do with you? Jesus would say, what's that got to do with you? You follow me. Oh, but I've tried harder than them and, and they seem to get away with stuff. What's that got to do with you? Jesus says, you follow me. This is what we mean about wanting to help you develop your own intimate relationship with God. It's not that it's, it's separate from all people, but it is distinctly yours and His, and you are accountable to Him directly. And we want to help you see that. Not as, a, not as some sort of a, a downer or, man, isn't that so difficult, but just the opposite. To know, you know what, Lord, it doesn't matter if anyone else follows you. I can trust you that you who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. I can trust you, Lord. If, if, if I have a desire to seek you, you are working in me, and I can trust you for the strength to follow you, therefore, even if nobody else does. This is what we're talking about. So that's our first area, developing your own intimate relationship with God. Second area. pursuing authentic fellowship with other believers. Now, this is why we have that sign there. It's one of the reasons, to remind us of the commands. There's only a few of the one another commands. There's actually 31 one another commands in the New Testament. We have that sign that I remember because those one another commands, it's in fulfilling those one another commands that we're actually pursuing authentic fellowship. Fellowship is not just having a cup of tea and a chat about the local sports team. That's not necessarily fellowship. Good thing to do, nothing wrong with it, but it's not fellowship. Fellowship is about sharing the life we have in Christ. It's about recognizing that we have in common. That's what the idea of fellowship is. It's something we have in common. It's sharing a life of Christ. It's recognizing that, that if I'm a believer and you're a believer, we have something eternally in common 
and should be investing in each other's lives. Check this out. Jesus says this in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another as I loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do you get that? Jesus is saying here's identifying characteristic. Not that you have your relationship with God all by yourself, but you recognize the expression of a right relationship with God is, is in a corporate manner that you know that you're known to be a believer because you love other believers. And we want to encourage you with that. We want to equip you towards that. This is why the Bible talks about in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But here's what you use liberty for, notice. But through love, serve one another. In other words, God's calling our life as believers is to say, okay, we've been so loved by God, therefore we want to so love others. And we want to love them by serving them. This is why we want to get everyone involved in small groups. This is why we want to get everyone involved in service. Not because, oh, there's a lot of things to take care of. There is a lot of things to take care of, trust me. But the truth is, we have such a a great team. That's why last Sunday, by the way, by the way, last Sunday, you guys rocked it in a new place, and it just went so smooth. I was super, super blessed. There's such a great team. To be honest, we could probably all step it up a bit and not need anybody else. But you know what happened? It would rip you off. It would keep you from growing and being developed as someone who is pursuing authentic fellowship. This is what what the author of Hebrews says. This is why we get together. He says, let us consider one another. In other words, let's think about what other people need. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. That's the day of Jesus coming back. In other words, the reason we have fellowship is to stir each other up. You know what that means? It doesn't mean to wind each other up. It's different. To stir each other up means to encourage each other to do what, they, what we know we should be doing towards love. So we say to each other, hey, how you doing today? Not too good. What's going on? Let's pray through that. Or, you know, I'm, you say to somebody, how's it going? And they say, oh, I can't stand that person there. I'm so frustrated with them. Well, you know what? Let's, let's pray for them and pray for you because God calls us to love. Let's stir each other up to that. Let's encourage each other towards what God would have for us. That's what fellowship is. That's authentic fellowship. Do you want that? I want that. I love that. I love when we get that. One of my favorite times of the month is when we have our men's fellowship together. There's something so cool about when men worship together, man. It's, it's, it's amazing. And just, it just, we just seem to be freer and more open and more loving to each other and more wanting to support each other. And it's like we recognize it's hard to follow Jesus and we need each other if we're going to do it. So that's the second thing. Pursue an authentic fellowship. Third thing. This is the third area. Growing in faithful, mature service. Now, it's great that people are pursuing authentic fellowship, but I think some of you guys might be able to relate to this. You've been in a situation where you find a church, you get plugged in, you know, you begin to serve, you know, you, you kind of commit to a little ministry team or something, and you serve there for a while and you just kind of stay there. And you're happy because you have your little group of friends that you're close with and you're doing your little thing and you can tick off the boxes that you're where you're supposed to be. And you can be in that place for months, for years, and then you start thinking, I don't know if this church is really doing it for me anymore. You know why I believe that happens? 
Sometimes it can happen because the church goes wonky. That can happen, I know. But it happens, I think, a lot of times because we're actually not pushing towards maturity. We think, okay, I'm, I'm practicing authentic fellowship. You know what? I'm developing a, an intimate relationship with God. I think I'm okay, but we're not actually pursuing mature service. Check this out. The Scripture says this. This is Jesus, and it's, this is the night before. This is the night he's going to be arrested out, and he washes the disciples' feet. And he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now, we are so familiar with this picture that we sometimes lose the impact of it. In Roman culture, it was considered rude not to provide uh, foot washing for people who came in to your home. But foot washing was also considered in Roman culture the very worst job you can possibly have. I mean, it's kind of disgusting if you think about it. You walk around in sandals, in sewage, in muck, your feet are pretty nasty. So nobody wants that job. In fact, it was considered so repulsive that you couldn't force your slave to be a foot washer. Jesus took that position, not only to give us a picture of how he saved us, himself being God, humbling himself and becoming a form of man, but as he says, to give us an example. Do you know, do you know how you're maturing in service? Do you know how you're maturing in your faith? When people treat you like a servant and you're okay with it. Hey, do this for me. People treat you like that and you're okay with it. That's how you know you're maturing in service. Jesus said, this is what I've called you to. He says this, the Bible says this in, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, this is in the context of the spiritual gifts. It says, pursue, this is in, I should say this as well, this is a command. It says, pursue love, let this be the thing that you are chasing after, you're zealous for, pursue love, that's love for others, and desire spiritual gifts. Literally in the Greek, this desire the work of the Spirit, pneumaticos. Desire the work of the Spirit. He says, notice, but especially that you may prophesy, say what God says. And he says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, as they were, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Now again, this is what we talk about when we're talking about growing in faithful, mature service. You may or may not know this, but we as Calvary Chapel, we as Servant Church, we are a charismatic church in the sense that we believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Everything that's in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, that's all for today. God still does that stuff today. But we want to be mature. We want to pursue maturity and how we pursue the work of the Spirit. What we want to do is, as we're commanded here, is to pursue love and be zealous about the work of the Spirit. Let Him lead and guide how He wants to do it. That we're looking to see people be built up, not looking to see myself be built up. To be self, wanting to seek self-edification, just trying to build myself up, that's a mark of immaturity. To desire to build up others is the mark of maturity. Therefore, I think, okay, Lord, I want to do what you would have me to do to build other people up, including what it means to use the gifts of the Spirit. Which means as a mature person, as you're maturing in Christ, if you feel like God gives you a word, a specific word for somebody, Immature would say, no, 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 I, I could never share it. I could be wrong. No, no, I'll just keep it to myself. I don't look stupid. Maturity would say, I'm going to share this and say to the person, I think this is from the Lord. If I'm wrong, please tell me. Immaturity would be, if you have a gift of tongues, that means you can speak in a known language that you, you can't know naturally. 
immaturity would be, I just want to pray in tongues out loud so everyone can hear me because this is what I, where I feel most spiritual and I'm not worried about if it's tr- interpreted or not. It makes me feel good. I'm going to do it. That would be immaturity. Maturity would be, I'm going to either hold back from speaking in tongues in public, as the Bible says, or I'm going to pray that there's an interpreter, as the Bible commands that there be, so that this is building up somebody, not just me. So we want to encourage maturity towards people. Why? Because it's great when God's people are built up, when they're made like Jesus. Again, here's what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, Therefore lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Do those things happen among church people? Yes, they do. But we're to lay those things aside. And as newborn babes, here's what we do. We desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow nearby, uh, thereby, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is gracious. God, we want to be fed your Word. So that's where our nourishment comes from, where our life comes from, your Spirit making your Word alive to us. Again, the author of Hebrews says this, for everyone who partakes only of milk, though, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature. Notice, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, immaturity is, I hear God's word, but I don't really do it. Maturity is, I hear God's word, and I want to do what it says. I want to trust God for the grace to do what His Word says. That's maturity. This is where we want to grow people. And I'll be honest, this is where we often lose people. And and I don't say that as someone who's arrived. I have nowhere near arrived. I have a lot of maturing to do. And the more you get to know me, the more you'll know that's true. (laughs) But you know what I, I have, and know what I am thankful that all the guys in leadership have, is a desire to grow. We want to mature. And we help each other do that. That's what we desire. This this is what we mean by a culture of discipleship. We want a place where people want to grow. They want to grow up in Christ. They want to actually love more. So that's the third thing, growing in faithful, mature service. Fourth thing, investing your time, talent, and treasure in eternal things. This is the fourth area. This is probably the hardest area. I heard an evangelist once say that the wallet is the last frontier. The last place of sanctification for a Christian is his wallet. No, God can't touch my money. I think we can put in there, though, our time and our talent, our abilities. Let's be honest, guys. We are not at all hesitant to invest time or money or ability in doing what makes us feel good or what makes us look good. I was getting excited the other week. I'm, I'm having, I asked for your prayers. I'm having a surgery tomorrow, a minor surgery, no big deal, but I'm having a surgery tomorrow. That means I won't be able to do any exercise for probably three or four weeks. And I know I don't look like I exercise a lot, but I actually do exercise a lot because it, it's good, a good stress release. And I'm kind of was worried about this. And so I kind of, I've kind of planned out what I'm going to do to get ready to exercise again. And I had this whole exercise regime planned out for once I, I, uh, I'm better and I can't exercise. And, and, I, and I found myself thinking about how good I'm going to look. I'm going to swim five days a week, and I'm going to get ripped. I don't care if I'm middle-aged. I'm going to get ripped. It's going to happen. And, 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 I, and I had all this, this, I was thinking about this stuff and planning this stuff, and I thought, wow, how quick I am to put time, talent, and treasure into something that's going to be dead. <laughs> so what? So I die with a better-looking corpse. What does that mean? 
Now, the, the point is this. All of us can do this. We can be so consumed with investing things that don't matter that we miss out. Check this out. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 16. He tells us, here's what, here's what he's left us here for. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, that's a really sobering message. And if anyone is here today and you don't know, you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus yet. You don't know the creator of God as a child of God. You don't know him as your father. If you don't have that yet, I, 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 if you get nothing else from today, I, I really do pray you would get this, that you would understand this is the, these are the words of Jesus, okay? Jesus, who came to save the world, told us to go preach the gospel throughout all the world because, why? Because people can be saved. They're willing to have, they're willing to believe. But people won't be saved if they're not willing. I really do exhort you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, that you would you would do whatever it takes to make a decision. <laughs> if you need more information, please, please ask the questions. If, you, if, you, if something's holding you back, maybe the information you have is holding you back, please, let's talk about that. But please, please consider Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for you. Because your eternity, your, your relationship with God is dependent upon knowing him, trusting him, and understanding what he's done for you so you can be right with him. So Jesus says, go and preach this way, but notice what he says too in Luke 11. Jesus also said this. He said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is, is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have been given, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, that's code for money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? That true riches would be the gospel. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, if you didn't know all that you have belongs to God, who will give you what is your own? Notice what he says. Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. What, one of the things that all these ministries have in common on these tables is they all need money to survive. They all need time, talent, and treasure. I, I've been really blessed by the displays. Some guys have really gone a, uh, gone a long way. These guys invest a lot of time and treasure and uh, talent to make sure the gospel either goes out in proclamation or demonstration. And it's amazing how we will, <laughs> we will drop a whole lot of money to do things that don't last but a couple hours. I'm too embarrassed to say how much money I spent on my wife last night. She totally deserves it. It's amazing how slow we are to spend on the gospel. Jesus says this as well. Do not lay up for your treasures, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here's the key, listen, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus didn't say where your heart will be, your treasure will be. He said where your treasure will be, your heart will be. What you invest in, your heart will go to. If you're a Jesus follower here today and you think, you know what, I just kind of feel a bit cold. I don't really feel that close to God. I, I know he loves me. I know that I'm saved, but I'm not really feeling like I'm that, you know, just, I don't, I'm not feeling intimate with him like I should be. 
Let me ask you, what are you investing in? What are you investing in? Your time, your talent, and your treasure, what's it invested in? Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Jesus goes on to say, listen, well, the scripture goes on to say this. It says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. But as God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance in every good work. The Bible speaks of giving as a grace. That God gives you the grace to invest in what's eternal. I've never known a person, honestly, and I'm not just making this up, I've never ever even heard of a person who on their deathbed said, I wish I had a bigger house. I wish I had nicer cars. Oh, if I only would have bought that suit that I always wanted. Oh, I never really got to eat escargot. I've never heard anybody talk about these kinds of things, but I've heard loads of people on their deathbed said, I wish I would have spent time with my family. I wish I would have began following Jesus earlier. I wish I wouldn't have wasted so much of my time, talent, and treasure on things that don't last. I've heard it time and time again. I've uttered it myself. Now, this is the thing that we really want you to think about, okay? We want you to think about that this is what our church is about. These are the four overlapping areas that we really want to disciple you into, that we want to equip you so that you can be disciples who make disciples, so that we are, not just you as a person is, is growing in these areas, but we are helping one another grow in all four of these areas. That's the whole point. We're helping one another grow in all four of these areas. Now, how do we know we're doing that? I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to talk about this, but like, how do you know it's actually happening? Is it, is it numbers in seats? If we grow numerically, does that mean that these things are happening too? Not necessarily. How do we know? Well, let's talk about this. How do we quantify this? Here we go. Okay? Here's how you know you're developing your own intimate relationship with God. You can ask yourself, answer this question, is my love for God increasing because I know He first loved me? If you are trying to love God more, I just want to love God more, I want to love God more because you think, that's what I'm supposed to do, but you don't understand how much He loves you and that His love for you cannot increase or decrease. If your love for Him is not coming from His love for you, you're not getting what we mean by intimate relationship. We, we want you to know that you only love because He first loved you. We want you to know that nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, if you're in Christ Jesus. We want you to know the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of His love for you so you could go, wow, if I'm so loved, I want to love Him back. So, you're pursuing authentic fellowship with other believers? How do you know? Ask yourself this question. Is my love for others increasing so that I can commit to a small group? Now, that's not the only way you know. But this is one of the ways that we look at it. As a church, what we really feel so strongly about, and this is why we talk about it all the time, is we want to see people committed to small groups. It doesn't just mean house groups. It can be house groups on a Wednesday night. 
It can be Friday morning prayer. It can be once a month men's or ladies fellowship. It can be Friday big group. We have different schedules. There's only certain things that we can commit to, but it's committing to a small group so that you can develop those one another relationships. How do you know you're growing in faithful, mature service? How about this? Is, is my love for truth increasing so that I do what God says? One of the things that we, one of the snares we fall into as a church is because we put such emphasis on Bible teaching is people can be, oh, I like going to that church because it's intellectually stimulating. I get to think about these different Bible truths I haven't thought about before. Well, we ain't doing it so you can think about it. <laughs> We're doing it so you can do it. <laughs> we want to actually do what God says. Are you growing in that? And the last one. Are you investing your time, talent, and treasure in eternal things? Oh, let me ask you this. Is my love for the lost increasing so that I invest in mission? Then we read in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, look, I don't want you to give begrudgingly. We want you to be cheerful givers. Do you believe not only that people are lost unless they hear the gospel, but do you also believe that God still saves people? That the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. If you believe that, invest in it. Invest in it.